welcome to the PASL CMO Series podcast. Today, we're going to be uh, taking a client-first approach to legal business development. That's the topic. Today's guest is actually taking quite a big leap from big law. And together with her former colleagues, she set up uh, a marketing and business development company to help busy lawyers grow their business. And we're incredibly lucky to welcome Megan Sinis, co-founder of Stage, to discuss the lessons learned from starting a new venture and what in-house BD can take from her experience. Welcome to the podcast, Megan. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. It's been uh, a discussion that we've had for a few months now, I think, gosh, end of 2022, we started talking about it. And so it's really great to finally get you on. Yes, it's been, uh, it's hard to even imagine that it's been that many months, but it's kind of all gone by in a weird flash, (laughs) weird blur. I think um, because you've been quite busy with obviously setting up a new venture, um, chatting away with you over the last couple of months, as you could easily say time has just flown past. And I think most people would agree that 2023 is flying past. Yeah, it's just, luckily, we're not in a weird, you know, time warp of 2020. So anything (laughs) compared to that feels great and glorious. I've forgotten what that year was about anyway, so it's fine. (laughs) Now, Megan, we've chatted before, and I I know a little bit about your background. and, And this is kind of where we set up the conversation before about getting you onto the podcast. You've had a a pretty unique career in professional services, starting out at KPMG uh, and then moving into the legal sector and now setting up stage with your former in-house team. Can you tell us a little bit more about that journey, maybe go into some a little bit more depth? Yes, absolutely. So I, I love I love telling my KPMG story. It does date me a little. I mean, I'm not that I'm not that old, but it does date me a little. So I love to start the KPMG story that I applied through Monster. Um, I thought KPMG was a radio station. So that just goes to show you, I had absolutely no idea what professional service marketing was. You know, they just don't talk about that in in college, right? Um, Nobody kind of dreams about legal marketing as as the kind of sexy, sexy, maybe you want to be like a product marketer. Anyway, so I, I started KPMG and really got, introduced to account management and industry focus. And I think that is really what put me on the path for this kind of unique perspective from from a legal marketing perspective. You know, stayed at KPMG for a couple of years. And then someone said, why don't you try law firms? And of course, never heard of them (laughs) for marketing. I was like, oh, I didn't know that, you know, law firms needed marketing and, and business development support. And um, I joined McDermott and then I basically never got out of legal marketing uh, up until, you know, a couple months ago and bounced around from a couple of firms. And and now I'm co-founder and principal of Stage with Kathleen Hilton and Jennifer Ramsey. We we met at our last firm. Um, we were a team and um, worked together for the last you know six and a half years and decided to make this big jump together. And now we own our own company. Which is pretty exciting. Obviously, you guys all work together. And, and I think you know, jumping into that new title of co-founder and principal sounds like a real thrill ride. It's it's equally thrilling as it is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there's definitely some familiarity with working together. And so we know what the three of our strengths are and where our weaknesses are. Um, but there is definitely like a new way of working as we are 
creating our own business. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's kind of one of just kind of one quick little thing that we weren't necessarily expecting. We're like, oh, this will just like seamlessly trans over. And, and it, and it did in a lot of ways, but it's been uh, like business crash course, if you will. And so it's been really exciting, but also terrifying to kind of be out there on your own um, in a lot of ways. I think it's probably a good mixture to have excitement and, and terror. <laughs> Although Yeah, the sounds... terror is what you know, motivates you, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. It's, and it, it's kind of what pushes each day. The, the excitement is what, what you get out of it as well. But um, when I said the word terror, it made it sound so much worse. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like um we've been saying it's kind of like a roller coaster, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a good terror. It's like um it's a little scary. It's a little scary to be out there kind of in that way, but that it's a good scary. If you're not if you're not a little uncomfortable, then you're not pushing yourself, you're not learning. And and I think for the, you know, I can only really speak for me, but I think for the three of us, that is a big one of the reasons why we kind of took this took this jump. Makes sense. Now, we spoke previously about those in-house roles that you had, that how they, they tended to have an industry or a, a client focus. When was it that you uh, realized the importance of that approach when it came to business development? Do you think that there was maybe one light bulb moment or was there a number? Hmm, It's super interesting. My entire career, basically from day one, has had either an industry or key account focus. And that positioned me differently from from the beginning and uh, the majority of the peers you know in legal marketing start kind of in a practice group and of course like law firms use a broader mix of both practice industry client and when they do that those are the firms that tend to be more profitable usually more collaborative they have a better understanding of the client and so that taking kind of all of that and then realizing that it was unique um, particularly as I left from firm to firm, and I was being hired to come in and implement an industry program or come in to stand up 41 client teams, which is something I did um, at another firm. I think realizing it kind of from each of those instances, I worked at three, four different law firms and seeing how that experience every single time I stepped into a new role was unique. I think that it was kind of each of those moments kind of piled up. And when I started working with with Jen and Kathleen, that's when the three of us realized that we all had this kind of unique experience that we were able to collaborate, you know, in-house. And now with stage, like that's our main focus, you know, positioning the client and the lawyer to be able to like address their needs from from that client perspective, which um, sometimes you don't get when you're kind of siloed. Now that you've started stage, your your own company. What are the different approaches that you're taking to BD? Yeah, I, I mean, I love this question. I touched on a little bit about how it's been a crash course on business. Yeah. And I think we've had this really positive reaction in the marketplace um, with the launch of our of our business, which feels great and kind of, you know, eases some of that terror. But, you know, our main focus has been creating, is trying to create authentic relationships and connecting people to one another, like, we believe in this, like the power of connectivity and that it will kind of all come back around. And I think there's a little, uh, a little bit of getting to practice what we've been preaching for, you know, for me for the last 16 years, when, 
you know, it's easy to be in-house and tell the lawyers, you need to go and network and you need to go and write. And you also need to like do the billable work and speak and get on podcasts and write on LinkedIn. And, and now being on the other side, it's, we're practicing exactly all the things that we were saying in-house and maybe didn't necessarily get the exposure or the opportunity from a BD side to, to do it yourselves. And so I can only imagine the leverage and like that kind of forward momentum that big law would be able to capitalize if they allowed more in-house BD and sales teams to kind of take this approach and be more client-facing. I had such a strong desire to be more client-facing when when I was in-house and not every firm is super comfortable or maybe there, you know there's politics involved um, with having their BD team be in front of you know, their clients. And so now we're, we're doing it ourselves. And I, I mean, I love it. I kind of love all of it. I love the networking and the approach that works for me um, in our company. I love like the, figuring out the sales life cycle and how we differentiate and you know, distinguishing our brand. I, like, I love all of it. It just allows me to know, like we are doing the right thing. Like we made the right decision, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, I, I suppose it gives you that reassurance that that feeling that you're you're getting from it, that sense of uh, of loving it and and enjoying it is is that you've made the right decision. Yeah, totally. Again, uh, reflecting, I'm going jumping back and forth between your your previous roles and your your new uh, role at Stage, um, but reflecting on your in-house career, are there any key approaches or opportunities for BD that you think? Uh, law firms could be taking advantage of? Yeah. I mean, this response could go in like so many <laughs> directions. Um, I, the first thing that comes to mind is more one-to-one support for the lawyers that might not get all of the resources that perhaps the the top biller gets. The one-to-one support from from my perspective and what we had seen when we were in-house and now we're on the other side, I'm like, outhouse now <laughs> you know um the one-to-one support is like where bd teams can get to do the real work like the real coaching the targeting you know developing the strategic plans you know a pursuit plan that kind of one-to-one is where we've been able to see like a real return on investment which is like really hard to demonstrate mm-hmm. uh at least from a bd perspective right everyone wants that roi and the life cycle takes a really long time and you're not really sure if when you're in-house, if the the idea that you suggested came, resulted in work um, or just was the matter of timing. And so we we love that kind of one-to-one. So I'm going to share a quick little story. We had been supporting this, this kind of gigantic REIT uh, with a new lateral partner, and uh, they wanted to make introductions in a new area that this client had. And they didn't know the firm's capabilities or even the people like that closely yet because they had just joined the firm. And so this is where you know, Jen and I were able to come in. We set up a one-to-one call. We created just a social, like a virtual social event. It was, you know, still COVID. And we just put together the like the right group of people. Um, this partner knew the temperament of the client. And so Jen and I were able to assign and align the right people to not only to the client, but with the people that were going to be coming together. And because of this relationship building kind of activity, we provided the, the right research. They literally got a matter out of this like event, which we feel like is like never, like never really happens so direct. You know, the partner reported back on it and 
it was probably one of the quickest sales cycle that we had like ever seen. I think we set up this call in, you know, like January or something and we got new work in April. And so I think it's just, you know, really figuring out kind of on this one-to-one where, you know, sometimes that can become a scale issue. Um, but that one-to-one support is really where you can make the most impact. And, you know, I guess speaking of scale, there's so many like, like legal tech options so you can like streamline things. And so, you know, to the extent that people are looking at technology, that could be a completely different podcast, I'm sure, um, to, you know, incorporate different different technologies to streamline some inefficiencies and things like that. And I think that kind of ties in with something that you'd mentioned to me before, and that's about really understanding what's valuable to the client. That's kind of how you could probably why this this sales cycle that you just mentioned happened so quickly. You had an understanding already. Are there any top tips, any specific ways that you would go about getting that information? Yeah. I mean, there's lots of ways, of course. Um, you mm-hmm. can learn a lot about the client by first doing your own research, reading their website, maybe their social media, just as reading as much as you can about the client so that when you get the opportunity to ask the client, like what's on your mind, it's you're asking the, the client in an informed way. Um, I think a lot of firms get shy of asking their clients, not all, um, but you know, you don't want to seem like you don't know them. But I think a lot of clients want to be asked what what's important to you right now? How can we help you? What's your biggest challenge? And and this can be for any, you know, any lawyer, a sole practitioner, all the way, you know, down to the AMLA 10, right? <laughs> um, you know, if you're just listening and asking your client, that's one of the most valuable tools that you can determine what the biggest issue for the client is. Uh, every time like a lawyer asks their client, what's important and proactively is seeking out their values, it just creates another opportunity for that that relationship to to deepen. And then figuring out what to do with all that information. So you like spent all this time like reading and figuring out stuff. And now you've got this like massive amount of data. So now what do you do with it? And I think that's really part of where the value comes in. And that's where you can bring in your BD team or your consultant and preparing some kind of report that is actionable and short so that the lawyer doesn't have to spend, you know, hours reading through reams of paper. That's, I think that's really kind of critical in terms of figuring out how that lawyer can help, where the gaps are, coupling it with client listening. Like that's that's kind of where the magic happens. Mm. Um, I guess bonus tip, if you have associates, like pull them in too, right? Introduce them to the client's kind of equivalent associate level and really entrench the firm across all the levels. Yeah, so it sounds almost like a bit of a mining expedition. You want to go and do a load of digging, but actually you still need to look through it to find the bits that are the key part that that are going to help deliver that value. Right, and I think sometimes with, you know, associate to associate or they might be able to uncover more like nuggets of information. I... A couple of firms ago, they had a really big succumbent program and the amount of information that the succumbents would come back with, just like figuring out because they sat on the floor with the, with the, with the client, or they sat next to the general counsel's office. They were exposed to so much more information just from being there, but also they were asking, they were maybe were a little more informal. And so they were able to find out like so much more than 
when you're setting up a formal kind of meet and greet for 20 minutes, right? Kind of press for time and maybe it, not all the juicy stuff comes out immediately. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And it's it, one of those things that's probably quite obvious to a few people, but also once you hear it out loud, you can't, you, you start thinking actually that makes, that does make sense. That is something that we need to act on or at least action maybe. Uh, so I'm glad we're having this conversation, Megan. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, just because it's, you know, simple doesn't mean it's easy, right? <laughs> you, have to yeah. make, you have to make time for it. Um, and there's so much pressure on on everybody, right? On the BD team, they're, they're extremely resource constrained and time pressed. And there's so many things they have to kind of turn out. And that's even more for the lawyer. They have billable time, they have pro bono work, there's work-life balance, there's the mental health crisis, there's um, you know, pressing recession. There's so, so many things that people just need to carve out time for and kind of creating new like micro habits to, to address some of these things. Absolutely. Lots of other things to take into perspective as well. So the, the list is almost endless. Yeah, for sure. Um, we normally, when we get towards the end of the podcast, we come up with the last question. Uh, and it's quite a difficult one because we ask you for what would be your one piece of advice uh, and for you, I suppose, for in-house BD professionals mm. uh, looking to make a more more client-focused uh, approach. Now, if you can think of that one piece of advice, I know there's one. probably going to be many. <laughs> yes, just one thing. I mean, there's so many. <laughs> uh, all right, well, I'll make it super simple then. And everyone will be like, yeah, of course, we know this. But since you asked and I'm on the podcast, then I can say what I want. Um, it, I think it always comes back to, you know, adapting this kind of external view, which is, again, like easier to say, harder to do sometimes. And um, we just like, you know, we talked about the, the press, the internal press of uh, life and what it's like to be in house. And all of these activities are so important. But I think starting small, you know, creating these like new micro habits about how to create this external view of the client, of the industry you know, perhaps it's a new cadence of scanning news for trends and topics that might be applicable to your practice group or your industry or the client team that you are supporting. And then thinking about what you're reading and how that might intersect with the knowledge of your firm's clients and then bringing that knowledge to the lawyers in this format that's like easy to read, easy to digest, super actionable, right? We there, we all get so much news and you're like, great. <laughs> like, what do, I, what do you want me to do with this? And so just maybe, a, you know, a sentence or two that is positioning the lawyer with some action so that they can create additional trust point with their clients. So they have an excuse to reach out to their clients and maybe just raising your hand if you're, you know, in-house with in the BD team for opportunities around client feedback or client listening so that you can get trained up and kind of thinking, thinking about it in that way. That's some pretty good advice. Uh, it wasn't going to be the one piece. I know it's difficult to actually channel it down to. Yeah, there's probably one. like four. <laughs> it's fine though, <laughs> because they're, they're all interlinked. So it is kind of one piece of advice um, and they all kind of have that slight interlinking where they, they have a bit of a knock on effect to each other, which, which makes perfect sense. So now we come to the quick fire round, which uh, can often throw a few very interesting answers up. Uh, Megan, I'm going to go through five very quick questions with you, uh, and it would be great uh, to hear some of your answers. I'm going to make notes as well. Uh, 
Starting with, what is your favorite business and non-business book? Yes, I love this one. Um, so the the book that I'm going to kind of set up as like a little guessing game, this book was gifted to my husband probably about 13 years ago. The company that he works for gave it to them uh, as like the best business book in the world. So it's the only book you need to learn how read to learn how to sell or own your value proposition, Try out different scenarios. It demonstrates grit, determination. It's like super easy to read. And so the drum, drum rule for the, this <laughs> book is uh, green eggs and ham. Uh, it's a Dr. <laughs> Seuss book. It tries, it goes through all different ways to, you know, keep trying something, try something, try something, try something. And I just kind of love how clever, how clever that is. And so that's, that's what I'm going to answer for that one. Good answer. And a non-business book? I suppose it's the same. It's not really yeah, a business book. Yeah, it's basically, either. you know, just want an interesting story. <laughs> you no, can use I, both. I'd not heard of it until I moved to the US uh, eight years ago. And, and I've since heard of it a, a few times now. And it's definitely actually something I'll, I'll pick up and read again. Yes. Uh, I'll ask you the second quick fire question. This is sometimes when we get a really funny answer. But what was your first job? Yeah. Uh, my first job was working at an ice cream store. Um, I worked there before I even had working papers. So um, don't tell anybody. <laughs> I was 14. I had to convince them to hire me about a month before my 15th birthday when I was allowed to kind of work um, part time. And I said to them, I know I'm not even 15 yet, but I'll show you that I'm a really good worker. And if you hire me and you don't like how I perform, then you can fire me. And so I actually... I worked there for a year and then I found another job with better, you know, better hourly pay. And uh, I mean, anyone who's worked in retail will know that like the customer service skills you learn there translate easily into any professional career and particularly big law. And and now with stage, of course, uh, it's just really about the people, like how mm -hmm. how you make them feel and how you care for them. So, you know, it starts, starts with ice cream. Did you get fed up of ice cream after a year? <laughs> um the first we were allowed one ice cream per shift and I definitely did not adhere to that like I was eating a lot more <laughs> than one ice cream per shift so I had like one super strong arm and definitely like gained some weight um but you know when you're a teenager it doesn't even really matter um but I no you never get you never get sick of the ice cream but I definitely <laughs> exceeded my one ice cream per per shift allotment uh, third question is uh, sometimes a little deeper, but what makes you happy at work? Hmm, what makes me happy at work? I guess when we're able to help, uh, you know, we guide lawyers and support them trying to make client connections or following them kind of along with their their client journey, getting a win or a new matter or a new assignment. All of those, when all of those kind of touch points, trust points align, that's like, that's like the best feeling when we get to help lawyers with their clients, like their win is our win. And that's kind of like, maybe selfishly like an amazing high, right? Like we're just out to get that high all the time. I think you're allowed to be a little bit selfish when it comes to that. <laughs> uh, what is it that you're listening to at the moment? And this could be something like an audio book, um, music, radio, podcasts, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I just finished watching Daisy and the Six on, on Amazon. So I'm kind of obsessed listening to the soundtrack. And of course, like I need to plug Stage's weekly playlist. We have a playlist that we put out once a week. It's on our like LinkedIn company page. So you can listen to that. Um, 
but there's like an amazing, amazingly hilarious podcast called Smartless. It makes me laugh like every episode. And uh, there's another kind of newer podcast for me, and I'm also going to be a guest on it. And it's called For Your Listening Pleasure. So um, that's those are all the kinds of things that I've been trying to squeeze in in between, you know, launching a business and and helping people and <laughs> being a parent and all of the things. Sounds like you've got your hands full a little bit. I'm going to make sure I listen to that podcast uh, yeah. when, when it gets released. Oh, thanks. Uh, last one for you in the quick fire round. Uh, what is your, sorry, where is your favorite place to visit and why? Mm, I, I love, I wish I could visit more. I wish I could visit these, these two places more. Um, I would jet off to Hawaii like in an instant or, or Tahiti, which is where I had my honeymoon. Uh, both of those places were just like fun, sun, surf like kind of all you know all of the picture perfect things uh went to Hawaii for New Year's one year my husband and I kind of started the new year off doing like a super early morning yoga like overlooking the ocean and it sounds as perfect as (laughs) like you can imagine and it was just a kind of like a magical way to start the new year and so I'd love to be able to go back there's just not around the corner (laughs) no um but it sounds like island life is the is the one for you maybe well, I do live on Long Island. It's just not quite the same island. Slight difference, but we, Slight we, difference. we won't go into that. Thank you very much for uh, coming on the podcast with me, Megan. It's been really fantastic to uh, get to know you over the previous few months, but also to have this conversation with you and uh, and record it so that we, we can uh, let the listeners hear uh, some of your incredible knowledge. Oh, thank you so much. No, it's been super fun and I've been really honored to be included and you've had some really fantastic guests and so just the fact that I get to have my name next to those people is like an award (laughs) (laughs) wishing you the best uh with stage and we'll speak soon thank you thanks Megan